India isn't just a place, it's an experience. And India is a subcontinent. Each state differs from the next in terms of food, religion, culture, language, even landscapes. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Between autumn 1987 and spring 1988, I visited India and Nepal, I don't know, five or six times. My tour operator had published India round trips in a newspaper. Suddenly they were very popular. And today I want to talk about these trips because they were very much out of my comfort zone at the time. I had been to Asia before. I had worked in the Maldives, but that was easy. I was sitting on an island for five months and on a visa trip to Singapore for a few days. But this India business was a different story. It was hard work and needed a lot of preparation, reading and several vaccinations. When I went to get briefed at the head office, Hoping to get lots of information and material, I was told that nobody had ever done this trip before. We had an agent in Delhi who had arranged everything, the hotel bookings and the tours and the guides. But I just needed to go and figure it all out. Right. Hmm. I met my first group at Zurich Airport And I was hoping for nice people who wouldn't notice that I had never been to India before. I don't remember how many people were in my first group, but there was one elderly gentleman traveling with his daughter who frightened the life out of me because he told me that he was going to India for the fifth time. Oh my God. And he also mentioned that one of his trips had been with a famous journalist from a women's magazine. The pressure was on. I had learned the route, of course, by heart. I had read a lot. But would that be enough? I will tell you at the end of the episode if he found out. There were no direct flights from Zurich to Delhi and we had to stop over in Frankfurt to take an Air India flight. Thanks to my failed Lufthansa interview, I had already been to Frankfurt Airport. Also, having said that, most airports look the same. And as an experienced traveler, one knows how to follow direction signs and display boards. I can walk through an airport anywhere in the world pretending that I have been there before, just by knowing how to read the signs. After an eight hours flight, we arrived early morning in this huge town. I was shocked and I had never seen anything like that. New York felt like a village after arriving in Delhi. The traffic, the rickshaws, the people, the smells, the colors, the cows and the beggars. For many Hindus, who make up nearly 80% of India's 1.3 billion population, the cow is a sacred animal and they are out and about in the streets. Our trip was well organized. We were driven from the airport to the hotel and the next day we were picked up to go on a wonderful city tour by bus, of course. We visited Old Delhi, the Red Fort, India Gate, the Parliament House, 
Connaught Place, I remember, and a lot more that I don't remember. We had a local guide who explained everything, and he was also going to accompany us to Jaipur and Agra. He had warned the people on the bus right at the beginning not to open their wallets or handbags to give money to begging children. But of course, some people never listen. They felt sorry and did it anyway. And I have this picture in my mind, looking back at the tour group and walking ahead and looking back and somewhere in the middle of about 20 children, there is this one person holding up his wallet or her handbag in the air because the kids wanted to grab it or wanted to grab and get some rupees. So they learned very quickly. On one of the India round trips, my suitcase didn't arrive because it had been sent from Zurich to Rome instead of Frankfurt and of course didn't make the daily flight. I was told that it will arrive the next day. And I had been traveling in my uniform, which was company policy, and I had no other clothes. I bought a t-shirt at the souvenir shop at the hotel, and someone from the tour group gave me a pair of shorts. And I was hoping for the suitcase to arrive the next day or the day after, because we only stayed in Delhi for two nights, I think, two or three nights. And then we moved on to Jaipur and Agra. My suitcase never came and I had to leave Delhi without it, knowing that we were going to travel all over this huge country. And even if it arrived, it would be so difficult for it to catch up with me. After nine days, when I had completely given up, I got a call in my hotel room in Puri in the state of Orissa that I should come downstairs to pick up my suitcase. Someone from the agency had traveled across India by train to drop it off for me. The distance is 1,785 kilometers and he had to change four trains to get to Puri. But let's go back to the tour. After daily, we traveled to the state of Rajasthan and stayed in the capital Jaipur, which is also called the Pink City. We stopped at the Palace of the Winds, Jaipur City Palace, and we took an elephant ride to Amberfort and then drove on to Agra in the state of Uttar Pradesh and visited Agra Port and Fatehpur Sikri. But of course, the most famous attraction in Agra is the Taj Mahal, which is often described as one of the wonders of the world, built by the Mughal Emperor Shah Jahan as a mausoleum for his beloved wife Mumtaz Mahal, who died in childbirth. It is such a beautiful place with such a sad story. It is a designated um, UNESCO World Heritage Site for being the jewel of Muslim art in India. And imagine it attracts seven to eight million visitors a year. The first time I saw the Taj Mahal, like so many things, because many of my tours that I accompanied took me to places where I had never been before. And I used to be just totally speechless for a moment before I had to pretend again that I had seen it all and I had been there before. 
But the Taj Mahal was something else. I mean, it's just absolutely breathtaking. After the so-called Golden Triangle, Delhi, Jaipur, Agra, which we had done by bus and which was accompanied by a very knowledgeable local guide who used to explain about life in India, all the thousands and thousands of gods and anything else our guests wanted to know. My job was mainly to translate because those local guides spoke English only and my guests were German and French speaking. And of course, I was organizing everything else. It always made me laugh when these tour guides, these local guides were mentioning, like when we were driving through a village, they would say the next village that we are going to drive through has a population of one million people. In Switzerland at the time, even the biggest town didn't have one million people. And the whole island of Cyprus, where I live, doesn't have a million people. And in India, a village has a population of a million people. I thought that was funny. So from Chaipur, we flew to Kashurao just for one night because there was nothing much to visit except those extraordinary, amazing temples. These temples were like clustered near water, which is another typical feature of Hindu temples. All temples except one face the sunrise. And another symbolic feature that is predominant in Hindu temples, they tend to face the sunrise. The layout of those temples in Kashurao integrate masculine and feminine gods and goddesses and symbols that highlight the interdependence, how they are connected to each other. The artwork symbolically highlights the four goals of life considered necessary and proper in Hinduism, Dharma, Kama, Artha and Moksha. The temples have a rich display of carved statues. And while Kashurao is very famous for their erotic sculptures, the sexual themes cover less than 10% of the whole temple sculptures. And most of those erotic scene panels are not very prominent and they are in the proportional balance with the non-sexual images. But of course, it was an attraction and those uh, local guides were used to people being interested in it. And they pointed out all those scenes and um, they were intrigued, even a little ashamed sometimes to look at those erotic scenes because it was fascinating. I couldn't believe that something like that would be carved on a temple. It was like a display of the Kama Sutra on a temple wall. On one of the India tours, I don't remember which one, we arrived in the evening as always in Kashurao at the hotel. We checked in, I waited in the lobby until everyone had found their room and everybody was happy because sometimes people came back, something was wrong. And my local agent was already waiting for me to go out for dinner and discuss the program. So I quickly went to my room and dropped off my briefcase and came down to go out to the restaurant. And uh, off I went, knowing that all my clients were happy and they were having dinner at the hotel. I came back to the hotel quite late, went to my room, opened the door and there was no briefcase and no suitcase. 
And it is important to remember that in the 80s, there were no electronic flight tickets. They were printed on paper. And all the tickets of all my clients for the whole trip, plus all my information material, the rooming lists, the books, were all in my briefcase. I panicked. Somebody had stolen all my things. So I rushed downstairs to the reception to report my misfortune and to find out if maybe my things had been moved. So I explained the situation, gave them my room number, my name, and the receptionist told me, Madam, you are not staying in room 411. You are staying in room 311. So I rushed back upstairs to 311, and there they were, both my suitcase and my briefcase. And I was so relieved and happy that I never questioned why my key had also opened the room 411 on the floor above. Yeah, that was a story to remember. And let's go back to the India round trip now. From Kashurao, we took a plane to Varanasi, Benares, it's also called. Oh my God, what an amazing place. Varanasi is an ancient city on the banks of the river Ganges in Uttar Pradesh. It is one of the most sacred cities in India because it is believed to have been the home of Lord Shiva. Some Hindus believe that the river Ganges pays its respects to Lord Shiva by the direction in which it flows. People come here to take a holy bath in the river. And on our program was an early morning excursion by boat to observe these Hindus practicing their morning rituals as the sun comes up along the banks of the rivers. And of course, going past the ghats where dead bodies are burned. It is just part of daily life for the people around. The awareness of death is unavoidable and the main economy of the city of uh, Benares, of Varanasi. Every day at Manikarnika Ghat, which is the largest crematorium Ghat, around 100 bodies are cremated. I was a little shocked the first time I was there. And on top of everything, I was wearing sandals and they were washing all the streets and the water was mixed with cow dung from all the sacred cows that are walking in the streets. And I wasn't happy and I never wore open shoes again when I was going on that morning excursion in Varanasi. After that, we flew to Bhubaneswar, which is in the state of Orissa, or I read now, it's now called Odisha. It changed name in 2011. We were there, I was there in 1987. And there we visited Konarak and stayed a night in Puri. These three cities are also called the Golden Triangle, but this time the Golden Triangle of Odisha. And of course, we visited all the temples around and there were so many. I also remember that on the beach of Puri, the kids came to touch my arms because they wanted to feel if my white skin, my white Swiss skin, would feel the same like theirs. This actually happened to me in Africa as well. I always thought that was so sweet. Kids are so unpretentious. They just come and do what they feel like. They're not conditioned yet and, and worried about what people think. It's their curiosity that wins. I love that. 
And from Bhubaneshwar, we traveled to our last stop in India, the absolutely humongous city of Calcutta, which is known for its poverty and destitution, but also for its culture and the arts, and was home to the Nobel Prize winning poet Rabindranath Tagore. Of course, we did a city tour like we did in all places we visited. And I mostly remember the Victoria Memorial Hall and Howrah Bridge. India was a British colony until 1947 and was then divided into India, which is mostly Hindus, and Pakistan, which is mostly Muslims. There's a lot to say about how the British Empire treated India, but that's not my job here. I just want to mention that Gandhi's non-violent resistance helped end British rule in India and has influenced modern civil disobedience movements around the globe. Widely referred as the Mahatma, meaning the great soul or saint in Sanskrit, Gandhi helped India reach independence through a philosophy on, of non-violent non-cooperation. He taught to work hard with truth and perseverance to achieve goals as a nation and as an individual self. He believed in a nation based on equality, free of any religion-based beliefs or castes. I love India. I love the colors, the smells, the food, the gods. I have millions of them. The festivals. India isn't just a place. It's an experience. And India is a subcontinent. Each state differs from the next in terms of food, religion, culture, language, even landscapes, mountains in the north and the sea. Of course, the country is the, the subcontinent is surrounded by the sea. And I think India teaches you patience and humbleness. But there's also the other side of India, the poverty, the street kids and all the beggars. And this uh, shocked the people in our tour groups. They were not used, coming from Europe, they were not used to this this display of misery and uh, sadness, they felt like they had to help. You know, the Swiss have this helper syndrome in general. And I had the perfect solution for their needs. With every tour group that I took to India, I paid a visit to one of Mother Teresa's children's orphanages, which were mostly in Calcutta. I don't know if there are any others in India. We were always given a little tour around and played some silly games with the kids. And then everyone had the opportunity to donate to this wonderful cause. One day, just as we were about to leave, it happened. This little, slightly hunched woman dressed in white and blue walked down the stairs. She said good morning to us. And she mentioned something about the people cleaning and scrubbing the floor with a big smile, and then she walked out the door. And it was her, it was Mother Teresa. We had all seen her, and we were all in awe. There were no pictures taken, of course, at the time, no smartphones. And there wasn't enough time for anybody to take out the photo camera. 
When I think of it now, how much would I have loved to have a selfie with Mother Teresa? But it was a moment that I will never forget. I can actually close my eyes and see her walk down the stairs. So from Calcutta, we flew to Kathmandu, the capital of Nepal, and continued sightseeing. People used to get tired after about 10 days. But because Kathmandu wasn't as hot and humid as Calcutta, it got a little easier and we were ready to hit the town again to visit Hanuman Doka Durbar Square, which is a complex of shrines and temples, both Hindu and Buddhist. The square represents the religious and cultural life of the people in Nepal. And until the 20th century, the square was the king's residence and it was used for public trading to sell produce and services and also to um, show what the country had to offer. And it is kind of a living open museum. And of course, we also climbed all the stairs to the monkey temple, which is called Swayambunat. I have to read that. And to be honest, I don't remember so many things we visited in Kathmandu, but we were on an excursion to Bhaktapur and Patan, and it's a fantastic country as well. In the 80s, when I was in Nepal, you could see the Himalayas from Kathmandu. And I was told that this changed over the years because of pollution. But I just recently read that because of COVID-19, they were all visible again after so many years because the air had cleared. I also remember visiting a Tibetan refugee camp and seeing all those beautiful colors. They were making all this beautiful wool. Three days in Nepal wasn't enough, but that's all we had. And one day I want to go back to India and to Tibet. There's still so many things that I haven't seen. And do you want to know what happened with the elderly gentleman on my first trip to India, who had already been there five times? He never noticed that I had not been there before, that I was there for the first time. I killed him with kindness. That's my superpower. And I paid a lot of attention to him. And at the end, when we said goodbye, he told me that the famous travel journalist may have been very knowledgeable, but she was not as charming as I am. Boy, was I relieved. And of course, with every trip that I went on, I became more and more confident and got to know all the places better and better. Between all those round trips to India and Nepal, I did some other stuff, but that's material for another episode. Stay with me. If you are enjoying my podcast, please like, share with your family and friends and subscribe to my channel. You can find all the information in the show notes. If you like what you hear and you want to know more about what I do, check out my website www.thesoulkit.com.